everyone, I'm Amy Barajas and this is the NICU Family, a podcast dedicated to families that are going through the NICU experience. Through this podcast, I hope you find support, community, and hope by connecting you to other families that have been in your shoes. Hey everyone, welcome back to today's episode. Today is part two of Baby Luke's story and I have my husband here again. Um, His name is Adrian. If you haven't heard the previous episode, you can go ahead and click to last week's episode to hear the first part of Baby Luke's story. Um, Last week, we left off on the second day of NICU and how that really shifted a lot of our um, focus and how we viewed the whole thing and just how God really spoke into our lives. So we're going to pick up from there. So after that day, um, we continued Luke's treatment with the antibiotics to help him get through the infection in his blood. And because he was so critical, they couldn't do the lumbar puncture, which is the spinal tap, to see if the infection had gone to his brain. So during the next few days, we just had to keep him stable uh, just to make sure he was okay to just be able to have that test. So he was on a ventilator, so a breathing tube uh, for the next couple of days. And then after that, the night nurse started to notice he would have tremors on his um, feet and hands, and they would just shake. And because he was so sedated, he didn't have um, all of the the characteristics of a seizure so it was just little tremors that his hands and feet would do so she uh, immediately told the doctor and that's when the doctor agreed that it was seizures and he put him on a seizure medication and after that he thought it was very important that we do the lumbar puncture to see if the infection had gone to his brain Mind you, they had told us that no, it wasn't likely because he had been on medication so quickly, but there's a lot of things that you that they can check to see if it's it could be meningitis. And I remember one of the things he said that, you know, babies have a a soft spot. Skull hasn't completely like closed. Closed, right. Um uh so they're exposed, I guess. Um and you can feel because meningitis is basically um, swelling, swelling of the menin- the meninges. Meninges, 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 yeah. So he could feel it, like you can. He could. He said, "I can touch it, and I would be able to feel if it's swollen, and that would indicate that he probably has meningitis." And he says, "You check that, and I forgot what other things as well, and it doesn't seem like he he has meningitis." So there was no swelling in his head, or his soft spot was still really flat, really normal. So he said it wasn't likely, but to, that it was important to check because of the seizures he was having. And so he took the test, and they did find meningitis. And once you have meningitis, they need to have an he needs an MRI, and he needs someone to scan his brain to see how the meningitis has affected his brain development. 
So the doctor was suggesting that he be transferred to Loma Linda because he needed higher level of care, uh, such as a neurologist. Um, after receiving these news, we were transferred to Loma Linda and we ended up staying in Loma Linda for the rest of the NICU stay. Once we were at Loma Linda, it was very different compared to uh, Riverside Community because it was a lot bigger, there were a lot more babies, and it was just the process was different. Um, so we had to get used to that. And getting used to um, the new process at Loma Linda was difficult for me because um, at Riverside Community, I felt like everybody knew the baby, every, everybody knew us, and we had kind of developed a, a little support system with the nurses and things like that. So going somewhere where it was completely new, we didn't know any of the nurses, and it was a lot more fast-paced. Um, it was hard for me to get used to. Yeah, you know, in Loma Linda, it's the second largest NICU in the country. Mm -hmm. So they held up to 90 babies at the time, and we're coming from Riverside Community, which was probably holding 20 to 30 at most. So yeah. it was a it was big. It was you know a lot of a lot of babies. That was just that was crazy for me just to even think that there's that many babies in the NICU. Um, and they were full. It's not like it could hold and they weren't to capacity. We had to wait um, a couple of days, almost a week, because they were at full capacity when we first were trying to get transferred. And transferring from uh, Riverside Community to Loma Linda was kind of scary in itself as well because the way they transfer babies is just pretty, pretty crazy, huh? Yeah, it is because... I remember thinking, how are they going to transfer Luke if he's hooked up to so many monitors and has tubes and wires and, like, everything? Like, that's how he's eating. So mm -hmm. I'm like, how, how is this going to happen? When they finally said we got the transfer, um, they said they were going to be sending a team from Alama Linda. And sure enough, it was a, it was a team of, like, four people four or five people and um yeah they were they brought in a little tiny basically look like a little tiny um incubator yeah and i was like whoa like it's like a steel trap mm -hmm. i was like they're gonna put them in there so it's pretty intimidating as a parent to see and be like oh man what are they what are they gonna do with my baby but they were really good because they took their time and um when the time came to like do the whole transfer we didn't even see it because right. you know that lady was so good that that's the time she used to ask us because they have to run down a lot of questions and consent sense, forms yeah. so you know she basically positioned herself in front of us um so we we're just answering questions not realizing they're moving her you know the baby which i did a little bit so i remember kind of like noticing she was blocking us so when i kind of noticed to and tried to peek she kind of just took a step to cover it, you know, because, you know, they've probably done this a bunch of times. So they were good because by the time we were done, he was hooked up and ready to go. Yeah, yeah. Um, so going to Loma Linda was, was a big change. 
And along with that, it's um, we had developed a little routine already because we had Mia, and Mia, she's now three at the time. She she was two at the time? Yeah, she was two years old at mm-hmm. the time. And so our routine was that we would wake up, we would get to the hospital around 11, and we would be there from like 11 to 7.30, and then we would spend the evening with Mia. We felt like it was really important to continue a routine um, but with all of this, trying to juggle, we, I know I, we were going through a depression because we were sleeping, but we also felt super tired. And I think that we were feeling the pressure, we were feeling the, the emotional toll of having to juggle two kids and having to juggle decisions when it came to um, Luke's m- medical um medical decisions as well so i don't know if you want to talk a little bit about how you felt as a dad having to juggle that well you know um you know i learned a lot about myself i've always been very self-aware but i still learned even more about myself through all this and you know going through it you don't really realize certain things until you're in it and i because I've never felt it, so I, I how would I know until you explained it to me? But you know, realizing that sh- we're both in depression, you don't realize it because the whole stigma with depression is, oh, you're just gonna feel completely just sad, and it's hard to explain. But I just remember not knowing because it's like okay, we had our routine, like you said, and then we'd go home and we'd just fall asleep for like 10 hours, mm-hmm. you know, like, and and the thing with me is like, I've, I average about four hours of sleep at night and perfectly fine. So 10 hours and I get up and I'm like, why do I feel so exhausted? And I just felt like I didn't sleep, but I, we slept for 10 hours, you know, and then realizing when you explain to me, like, it's because we're going through a depression. It's like, oh, it made more sense because it's like you don't want to do anything. And, but, you know, you have to, it was good that I figured it out because, well, what the, you know, you explained to me because um, knowing that, at least I could tell myself, you're not okay. You know, having to say that to myself and say it to you, you know, out loud and say like, I'm, I'm not okay. You know, I need, to figure something out because depression leads to a lot of different roads. Um, so having to process that, get a handle on that because, you know, as a father, again, you feel like you have to be in control, you know, of each situation. So with Mia, with you, and then with Luke, you know, I, I felt like I couldn't afford to, to not be functioning at my best so and i know and i'm i told you i'm so self-aware i know when when i am at the top of my game so having to deal with the depression part was just something i obviously never experienced so that was tough it it was really tough yeah um i struggled with, with that too i think when i look back and i think about that time we were like zombies like Mm. we weren't really feeling much um 
I would cry a lot, almost every day. I would struggle, but when I wasn't crying, I was just zoned out. I, I didn't really experience a lot of like positive feelings. Um, I just felt kind of like disconnected from myself. During that time is when I started struggling with a lot of guilt and shame as to the baby getting sick. Um, and this is when I started to struggle and it started to really like, it's hitting me that the reason he is sick is because he came, it came from me. The way he was infected, it traveled through me and it went to him. And I know it's like a battle inside your head because your head knows what's right, but your heart and your feelings are telling you, are making you feel guilty. So in my head, I knew that it ultimately wasn't my fault. I did do everything possible to keep myself healthy and to do what I felt was best as a mom. But my feelings were telling me that, you know, it, it was your fault and how did you let this happen? You know, maybe you you were trying too hard to have a natural birth and you know all these things and all these second guesses and all this shame and guilt started coming into my head and I started to really feel the depression start settling into my heart um, and I always tell people that just because you feel something doesn't mean it's real it's not truth but it's hard when you're going through it and I think that's where I started to struggle with my mental health when it came to depression and anxiety, the worry and also that shame really started to hit me. I don't know if you've know, you noticed anything like that. Like, cause I know a lot of people told you that I would feel like that. Well, I mean, I knew if I was going through a depression, so were you. Um, so yes, I did, but um, when you're going through a depression at the same time, it's very hard to be, f be focused. Right. So that, that was, you know, I knew it, but it's kind of like, you know it, but what, what can you do about it? Yeah. And, and it's like a, an example of how you can't really help others until you're doing better yourself. Mm -hmm. And this was a time when, you know, we were going through it together and we did support each other. We really leaned on each other. We gave each other support and allowed each other to break down with each other. But as far as carrying each other, I don't think we, neither of us were in the right place to do that. So we were literally just basically both limping along emotionally. Yeah, I mean, obviously it's different now where, you know, we, we still have our days now and you have you'll have your days and I'll have my days but at that time that's how deep we both were in so it's not like again like either of us could kind of hold the other one it's mm -hmm. just um we were just like I said like I guess just leaning on each other trying to make it through and again like depression a lot of the times it's in it's inward and people think it's always outward yeah right so like oh well Look at, like, they, they seem to have it together, so, like, they're fine. Mm -hmm. It's like that's usually not how depression works, right? Mm -hmm. You're screaming on the inside or dying on the inside. 
and everything looks fine on the outside. Even though we didn't, you know, we didn't look fine on the outside. Everybody knew that. I mean, I, during that time, I our meals were scattered. I mean, it literally had to be, you know, that whole cooking for us and you know, other people providing that and reminding us to eat. Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah, so not being good on the outside as well. You know, I'm pretty sure we didn't look so well all, mm-hmm. outwardly as well. You know. But mm-hmm. people, it's funny, because they would ask, like, you know, are you guys getting enough sleep? And I'm like, we're getting, like, tons of sleep ever that I've ever had in my life. It doesn't help. Yeah. We were just emotionally exhausted. And then along with that, we also had Mia. And as much, you know, we already talked a little bit about the routine we had to give her. Um, but also explaining to her what was going on, because, you know, kids are smart they're aware they see and they would she would see me cry and she would see us just you know down and she would ask about the baby and you know we had to be honest with her and i think when parents think of or when people think of you know kids and the family going through something oh they're too little to understand they're too small but the truth is you you have to be honest if if you want your child or, or or a child to go through something and learn how to deal with difficult times in life i i believe you need to be honest with them and explain to them what's going on in the best way they understand right so um we had to sit her down and explain to her that her baby brother is sick that that's why he hasn't came home and we were going to the hospital every day and that's why she didn't see us. I mean, up until I had the baby, I would spend all day with her. I would do, um, I would teach her at home and I would, we had our whole routine at home. And so we were both excited to bring the baby in with that. And um, having to explain that to her and her having to be at my mom's or at your mom's all day and then when we get home we weren't okay and she you know she wants to do is play you know it's hard to explain it to her but it i think that it was important that we were honest with her yeah i mean you have to be because you know like you say kids are smart so they they figure out something's off you know even though she no, she doesn't know how life works in that sense. She does know, like, okay, the baby's on your tummy no more. Why isn't he home? But, yeah, that was hard just because, again, like, you're switching gears with with each kid. All day are worried about one and his well-being. And, like you said, medical decisions and, you know, the uncertainty of what's going on. The emotional toll on that. And then... You know, you gotta, you can't just go home and just lay there and do nothing. Even though when we finally were able to, we did. But you know, we had to turn around and still be parents. We still had to, you know, remember that you still have one more kid, and we have to parent her. We have to show her love. We have to spend time with her. Um, and it's not that it was, it wasn't hard for that part. Like because, you know, you you love you love her, so that's easy. That's easy to see her face and and smile and think like that um but at the same time your mind's pulling you to 
your other child, you know, and feeling bad about leaving and not staying. Because we technically could have stood there the whole time, right? They, they don't force you to leave. But I think we made that decision of, like, no matter what, we were going to do it together. So, you know, I, we, I said no judgment on those parents. I mean, some parents do split and stay. In this, but, um, and maybe that's due to whether it's work or something. We were just fortunate enough to both be off work. Um, but either way... Uh, it's something we both needed to be part of because, like, like we said, we weren't okay. So I needed you and you needed me there. So um, that's why it was like we would leave her and then come back and have to, again, parent her and and do the quote-unquote normal things that we would try to do. Yeah. And then, you know, we I felt, and I, I'm pretty sure you did too, right, taking her to see Luke was important for us. And we felt it was important for her to see him because the more time passed and she didn't see the baby, I think she would get more confused. So I think um, we she saw the baby twice. She loved every second of it. And she had questions and, you know, she was like, what's coming out of his nose? But um, she she did really good. And I think part of the reason she was able to not be shocked, not be like grossed out or just scared is because we prepared her and we continually talked about the baby and what to expect when she went. Mm -hmm. She was a little nervous when, I mean, because the, the first time she saw him was in Riverside and he was intubated. So it's not like she, you know, mm -hmm. she just looked through there and she was only allowed to be in there for like, a quick minute yeah um and then we were in loba linda it was like an official meeting, meeting mm -hmm. that the hospital was part of as well so you know they have a whole setup for her and her little gown for her and like yeah. everything so um that was a that was the big one where she was gonna officially meet him she and hold him, him. <laughs> so that was a that was a little nervous for us too and just that I, I didn't you know it's your kids again remember you have a thought in your head how this was all gonna go mm -hmm. you were gonna come home and mia was gonna be so excited and you know the quote-unquote normal thing and that didn't happen so you know this way it's like it's it had been when did she see him two I think weeks it had been three weeks almost three, three weeks you know three weeks for you're waiting three weeks for that moment of you basically your two kids meeting and that's you know it's an emotional thing um so when they when she finally did you know she was she was very i feel like she was very quiet very like, observant yeah you know she held them and didn't say much at first and she seemed a little kind of like i don't want to do this mm -hmm. and then um when she realized and she held them you know she was holding her baby brother like she uh she really liked it and she held his finger and and kissed him and you know sang to him yeah so from that moment on is like you know she was in love that bond was um, solidified it was a very and i and i think loma linda did a really good job in making it feel special and private yeah. so 
after Mia met Luke and um, after we were there a couple of of weeks, I think it was around two weeks, um, Luke needed to get an MRI because he did have meningitis and that's an inflammation of the, what is it called? The meninges. Menin, menin, meninges. Mm -hmm. And when that happens, uh, it has the potential to cause brain damage. So they needed to do an MRI to just make sure um, he was okay. And they said, don't worry about it. We got it early. He's been treated hours after he was born. He should be fine. They came back with, uh, um, with the results that morning we were there when they did the rounds and first it was the the neonatologist came in and she gave us the results and when she first gave it to us we we i guess we had a little bit of uh, questions because she said well there is some damage um so expect there expect there to be some delays but mm -hmm. Um, we we don't know exactly how much. Um, so, in my head, I was like, okay, so what does that mean? Is he going to walk? Is he going to talk? You know, is he going to be okay? Like, what does some delays mean? Because some delays can mean like a little limp, hmm. <laughs> you know? But, um, so we had a lot of questions. Um, honestly, you know, from after day two, my whole approach was I really had no expectations. You know, I am. Um, I took what God revealed to me and told me, you know, very seriously and as truth. So I never, like, I wasn't like, okay, so is he not going to do this? Is he going to do this? Like, my mind just never went to those. Mm -hmm. I just basically was like, okay, day by day, um, we don't know. It's not like anything I've ever gone through. So I can't be like, these are the results that they could come back with, or this is a possibility. I, I literally had no idea. So I, I wasn't going to let, I already had so much going through me that I wasn't going to add that to my mind. So I was just going to take it each day that they would give us news because there was just so much uncertainty every day with Luke. So um, when she said that, I was like, okay, that doesn't really answer much. So I, I know she, I don't want to say not the one who's going to know the direct answers, but I knew the neurologist was going to be the one who can explain everything. So I was like, okay, well, I guess we'll wait for the whole breakdown because she said that they'd be coming and mm -hmm. explain more. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Um, and the... Uh the neurologist then came in a couple minutes later and he, you know, brought up the, the MRI on the screen and told us this is your son's brain and it should be white. It, it should show light. Um, but if you see it, um, there's a lot of dark spots and every place that you see darkness is damage that you can't repair like, that's it 
and he kept on going picture after picture after picture and it was dark spots dark spots all over his brain like mm -hmm. not one part of his brain was normal like every single part every single picture every section of his brain has dark spots um, so he said it's, it's pretty bad we still didn't get it I still was like okay what does that mean mm -hmm. um, and he said he's gonna be severely delayed well you know I I, I remember him being a bit, you know, cold, um, you know, like, and, and him telling us these next few things didn't say it maliciously, but just kind of straight to the point. Um, and I wasn't angry or anything, um, but, you know, delays means that eventually he'll get there. Yeah. What he basically said was that, you know, your son is never going to walk. Yeah. And he's never going to talk. And he's never going to eat on his own. Um, essentially, those are the big three <laughs> that he said. Um, he said, we don't like to diagnose babies at this age. You know, because he's so young. He was three weeks old. Um, but your son has cerebral palsy. And um, I didn't know much about cerebral palsy. Amy has more experience in, in that because of um, past um, experiences with work so I'm not I wasn't really too sure what that meant um. yeah I used to work with a family that I used to help teach the little boys they were like three years old and one of them had cerebral palsy and I remember seeing him and I remember he had meningitis so um, when he first got meningitis I knew that the possibility of cerebral palsy was high because of this experience and I um, I know what it looked like but this little boy still had a personality but they were saying that that it was worse than that so the the lifespan of someone with cerebral palsy worried me so I, I asked the doctor what does this mean of how long he will live? Because that was my biggest worry, you know? And he said, well, you don't see many 70-year-olds walking around with a feeding tube and, um, and in a wheelchair and not walking and stuff like that. So what that told me was like, don't expect him to leave, live that long. So that was really hard for me. Like hearing all of this, it was, it was a shock. Um, I knew he, he struggled at the beginning of his life, but he was getting treated. We got it quick. I didn't think it would have, would have gotten to this point because it was vicious. Like it, ran through his body so quickly and it gave so much damage to him so this was um a hard conversation that left me pretty heartbroken yeah yeah i remember um it was it was a real gut punch to hear 
I'm not gonna lie about that. I mean, it's it's it was always every news that they gave us was hard. Um, but I, I took it different from you, um, because again, I just kept hearing God's voice and what He had told me, and um, some may call it ignorance or just whatever they want to explain to it. But you know, we 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 have our faith and we're deeply rooted in it. So, you know, and, and God had never spoken to me like that before in my life. So that's what I was taking um, as my, you know, as my truth. I wasn't saying that he was lying. I, I believe what he was saying and what the MRIs were showing. Um, I just was not taking that as Luke's period. End of story. Because... I just knew doctors don't have the last say. You know, God does. So, um, again, I, it didn't resonate with me in, as, as complete and total truth. Um, you know, we have struggles now, but there at that moment, I wasn't even thinking about Luke's lifespan. I just was like, wow, um, that's, this is going to be tough. Um, so I just remember, again, seeing the image of the MRI and thinking to myself, I'm going to see this MRI again. But the next time, whatever time that's going to be, it's going to be when the doctor's telling me, or us, we don't know how to explain this, but your son's, your son's MRI is completely different because of the miracle healing I believe is coming. So that that was that was my take on it. So yeah, seeing the way you took it and you explaining to me that the doctor doesn't have the last say and just how much we were renewed in our faith. You know, it, it did help me not live in these in these bad news and accept things. Um, it was hard to let go of expectations because that's kind of what we we had to do in order to really um, get through Luke's progress. But um, I think that seeing you focus on the word and our faith helped me get out of that bad spot from when I heard the news and where my mind went. So I think I gathered strength from from how you were feeling, you know? And then the next hard part after that was to tell our family. Up to this point, um, our family was in it 100%. They were backing us up. They were praying for us. They were very invested. Um, in our well-being as a family and with Luke. So we felt that it was really important to tell them because everybody had been asking us like, what about the MRI? What happened to the MRI? What did it say? What it, when, it, when are they gonna give you the results? Like, because everybody was very anxious in knowing what damage the, the bacteria and the meningitis had done to his brain. So we did the, the meeting and we sat there with our entire family. We have a pretty big immediate family. 
Yeah. And uh, we told them what the doctor told us about the MRI. Yeah, it wasn't easy. Um, having, you know, to tell them the news as well. Just because they had been there every day with us, whether physically or not, you know, they were just as much as invested as we were. I mean, yes, we're the parents and we're going through everything. You know, they were also, I know they were also going through a lot, you know, because of with all this experience, what it was doing to our family. You know, it was it was changing us in so many ways. That's why we we've in, we were involving them in everything. So when we broke the news to them, um, it was you know it was heavy. It was heavy on everyone. But just like they are, they supported us. They said that they were going to be there no matter what, and whatever Luke's future looked like, you know, they were going to be a part of it no matter what, you know, that they also believed that, you know, God's power is greater than anything, and we all believe that, so we believe in that miracle, but even if that miracle doesn't look like what we believe it or want it to Mm be, we were going to love Luke no matter what. And, and that, that was so big because, um, because I don't know about you, but, and not, not, I'm not saying this in a bad way at all, obviously, but you don't sit there from day one and think, and then start to say like, well, I'm a special needs parent. You know, it, it comes to a point when you're, when you realize like, okay, like, like I'm a special needs parent. And, right. um, and one of the things you, I don't want to say fear or but just like in any parent you know you don't you think about your kids you want them to be happy and safe and everything their futures looks and their lives look different and you know people can be cruel and treat others in a bad way just because of anything so luke was going to have a lot of difficulties and for them to say that they would always love him not that we question it but no matter what, it's like, it was so much to us to know that Luke will never feel, you know, um, different in a bad way. You know, they would always love him in such a way that he will never feel any less than anybody else. And that was a lot. that support you know it's um it's everything you know um you know it holds you up and it you know you just you want so much for your kid and they were always going to be there you know for us and they have been and you know they they will never know you know to the extent of what that means to us and what it's done you know for our everyday life so um that was everything you know and then um you know we we prayed we prayed together and we cried together 
and um yeah it was a it was a tough day but it was also a very very comforting yeah. day yeah i think that the support of our family you're right it it has meant so much and it's helped us carry through these hard times it's given us more hope and one of the biggest things that they've done for us is intercede when we can't or we don't feel like we have strength to to pray anymore or continue on in a way that is um, is healthy you know they they've given us so much strength um, there's been just so much restoration with our family in this one of the things that you know of I mean I can't remember the exact place in the Bible but the verse that says that you know we're, we're meant to carry each other's burdens that has really stuck to our hearts because knowing that we're not alone in this journey it's not just me and adrian but it's it's our whole family that's willing to stand with us and and move forward and and help us with mia or anything we need and it's made such a huge difference and has really helped us carry through a lot of the the harder days and just the amount of love that they have for luke and that just brings so much comfort to us and it's just made a huge difference in being able to get through through this time. So um, after telling our family, I think that we gathered more strength to continue on and Luke stayed in the NICU for another two weeks after that. And during those two weeks, he finished his antibiotics, so he was um, meningitis-free, and he was not waking up. And they said that it was probably due to the phenobarbital he was taking, which was uh, for seizures. So because of that, he wasn't able to eat by mouth. Um, Luke is G-tube fed, so he has a feeding tube. Nothing is wrong with his organs as far as not being able to process food or uh, digest. Um, he His body works completely fine. He just doesn't know how to swallow. Yeah, I mean, um, but the brain fun but the brain is what's wrong and it controls everything. You know, it it tells you to breathe, you know, and thank God for you know, for that, that Luke is, he was only on a ventilator for like a week. Yeah. And other than that, he's always, he's always breathed on his own. Mm -hmm. And, um, but, you know, the brain tells you to swallow. The brain tells you, you know, when people say, oh, you know, something went down the wrong pipe. Well, it's because when, when you swallow, your brain tells, you know, what it's going down to, there's like a little flap mm -hmm. to not go in your lungs. And, you know, the brain has to tell it that. And at the time, and I mean, even now, um, we don't know if it's telling his brain to do that. Mm -hmm. So they decided because he's not waking up, because he, he needs to be awake in order to see if he's aspirating, which is, you know, choking, you know, choking liquid going to his lungs. Mm -hmm. um, they said, you know what, but he, but he has to eat and he's not going to stay in the hospital forever. So... 
we need to give him a G-tube, which yeah. is basically just a button and a line that goes straight into his stomach. And he, um, that's how, that's how he was fed. So, yeah, it, it's an actual, um, surgery that he has to go under for. And, mm -hmm. um, it was a little scary knowing that he was, he was going to go under and he was going to get a surgery. It was really fast, but you know, it's still a little bit nerve wracking, but yeah. he did really good and, um, we got trained, but it's actually not bad at all. Um, it's really simple. And you just have to be careful when you're feeding him. I mean, it's intimidating at first. Yeah, it's intimidating more than It's anything. very intimidating because it's on his stomach and you're like, am I hurting him? You know, am I, am I going to damage it? Like, you know, obviously yeah. you question a lot of things. You and know? it can fall out. Yeah. And they toast that. Like, you know, they could fall out and they're kind of like, no, but it's okay. You just you know, give you a little, little tool that if no, it does. They told us. You know, if it falls out, just stick something in there. I was like, well, what do you mean stick something in there? And they're like, yeah, just stick something in there because it's going to close. And I was like, like a pencil? Like, what do you mean? <laughs> well, they, mean they, get, they, give you a, they give you a little tool. It's, it's called a ribbon. And, yeah. it, you know, put it in just an inch in and tape it. And then you would just take it to the hospital and they they'd just redo it. But mm -hmm. it's still kind of like, wait, what? Why? It was different. I mean, it's, it's a whole new way of life having to, to care for a special needs baby. It really is because you you worry about so much more. If you already worry about a newborn coming home. Yeah, that's scary enough. Yeah. Um, taking Luke home was so much more um, intimidating than with Mia. And so he had his, his G-tube placed and everything went good. We needed to get trained. And in order for you to leave the NICU as far as Loma Linda, that hospital, you have to have um, a 24-hour uh, supervised stay. So we have to feed him for um, eight, eight times for a total of 24 hours. Um, we had to give him all of his medications. We have to basically do everything like we would here at home. And if we pass that one day and we go through everything fine then they let us bring him home so we did that um we didn't sleep no. i think i slept maybe two hours and you basically slept zero and um we just were like all right this is finally it's finally here time to take him home we were excited and nervous all at the same time because um the hospital life is a is a tough life, you know. Yeah, yeah. Like you said, like you you get used to it. That that becomes your home, and though it's again, it's, it's a lot. But then you kind of like, well, he's safe here. Yeah, you know, you and rely on on the machines that they give you and the doctors and the rounds and all of that. Yeah, and the nurses are twenty four hours mm -hmm. care. I mean, not twenty four hours there, but you know. You have a nurse there, then she leaves, and another nurse comes. So they're they're watching him all the time. They're monitoring him with his all the machines and everything. So, you know, even when we did that in room stay, he was still hooked up um, mm -hmm. because essentially they would watch him from outside. So if anything did happen, then yes, they would come in. Mm -hmm. um, but we weren't going to have those machines at home, so. Um, you know, for a month, you just, it, that's kind of part of, I guess, the trauma that, you know, the beeping, 
yeah. you just it's stuck in your head um yeah. so no noise is not a good thing mm. um so you know after that stay again like she said we were excited because we were finally going home we wanted to go home uh, but we were also very nervous so um it was it, because the day came and they're like okay you're ready go, go for it you're ready to go home oh, I'm like, like that? <laughs> but yeah. can yeah. we just stay a little longer <laughs> yeah so um that day we were, we were exhausted and ready to go um i was so thankful that part of our plan before all this happened was to we had his outfit picked up to take him home and it was his kobe onesie that i had got and, and um, a reminder uh luke's full name is luke kobe barajas yes it is <laughs> so the kobe onesie um it was very special <laughs> even more so now um so i was worried because it's supposed to be a newborn and luke was now a month old and he was growing very fast so i was like i don't know if this is gonna fit him but thank god it did so at least i was special enough to take him home in that um and it was a scary ride home and when you get home i just remember picking him up and holding him and thinking what now yeah we had never held them without any cords and just kind of he's ours now like like before i mean we were always able to pick him up and do what we felt we needed to do as parents but you're always watched from the nurses you know they're always like oh you know make sure you do this and you know they kind of guide you uh no one was guiding us like we were just the scary the scary yeah. part is that you know like i said with a newborn it's scary but that newborn communicates with you mm-hmm. it cries and you're like oh okay what's wrong are you hungry you can we feed you or you pooped okay let me change you you sleepy okay let me put you to sleep you know luke they told us we would have to you know because we were asking so many questions and so nervous like how do we know then and they're like you know you will learn your son like he he can still communicate in his own way so you just you're gonna learn and um so at at this point um luke had not cried and i mean he still doesn't cry so luke is a very quiet baby um and what that's one of the things that really scared us because he doesn't cry he doesn't give a lot of cues um he doesn't wake up at this point he wasn't waking up so we we didn't know if there was anything wrong with him any pain if he was struggling with anything because he was pretty knocked out most of the day yeah so that's i mean our our big fear was like so what are we gonna do at night like again normal babies that's already a fear of like you know sids and they had already told us that he is at a higher risk for that so um and also mind you that luke at this point was eating every three hours but really it's faster because he eats every three hours but it takes him an hour to eat so really it's like two two hours 
I would say more every hour and 45 minutes because it would take us around 15 minutes to prepare to his food. Set up. Yeah, because he has a machine. Yeah, so would he have uh, 12 o'clock, 3 o'clock, 6 o'clock, 9 o'clock, right? Around the clock. So come midnight, you gotta feed him. At and 3 then at 3 a.m., but really, you gotta get up at like 2 30 mm-hmm. and feed him and wait an hour and close it and then you know do all that so no we we knew we weren't gonna sleep anyways so i mean it was so much fear there um yeah we didn't i i I was like i'm i'm not sleeping i i've done this for so long anyway so i'll just watch a movie i'll just stay up and and not sleep because there's just so much fear you know and, and you that he was not gonna be alive when we woke up we had to take turns like you would stay awake all night up until six in the morning and then I would wake up at 6 a.m. and then stay up up until like 12 um so that that was hard you know living in 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 that fearful state yeah it was um and you know we started to realize that fear was taking a hold of our life and we knew we couldn't do that. You know, you can't live in fear. Though it was justified, and, you know, any parent would, we knew we can't live like that. You know, there was too much, too much that was riding on us to, I mean, Luke, he's a baby. Mia, is a, you know, kid. we can't live like that. They need us. So, you know, we made a decision, like, we can't, we're not going to live in fear. We can't live in fear, you know, and we had a faith and we had a belief that God was going to see us through, you know, so we made a decision. Um, we still took, we're still taking and do all the precautions that we, that we need to, you know, we're not being careless, but, you know, we started trusting, okay, we, we can try to sleep a little bit, you know, I would sleep a little bit, a little bit more instead of not sleeping at all. Um, and then, you know, like I said, for a while, we, even though they, we needed to, um, you would sit in the back with him everywhere we went. Mm-hmm. Um, and then finally we were like, okay, like we can see him from the front seat. It's okay. So we, you move the front gradually. And, um, like I, I've always been a very cautious person when it comes to being a dad. So like with Mia, everything was like. Usually, like, when we first had her, we I don't think we took her anywhere for the first, like, couple months. So, with Luke, obviously, it's different. And maybe people would go the opposite way, but I think it was important for us. And that's why we, we made that decision that, um, you know, fast forward to October, Mia's birthday, we were like, you know what? We, we were going to, because we had thought about... We, uh, we'd save up every year for season passes at Disneyland, and we're like, you know what? We can't go no more. We can't go to Disneyland no more. Like, that's... We can't do anything with him. We can't take him anywhere. Um, we should save... Keep that money, because you never know what, you know... What about if, you know, hospital bills come in or something that? And just a lot of worry. But then I thought, you know what? We, we have faith. God's always provided. God's always seen us through. So we're not going to stop now. So we did. We took her, took them out to Disneyland. Yeah, we took them both to Disneyland. 
Um, I knew, we knew it was going to be hard. Mm-hmm. We knew it was going to be different. So our expectations at first visit was like, we're just going to see how it goes. And what we did, we just, we made a game plan. Um, we kind of knew, okay, we have this much time to get to Disneyland. We feed them there and then we can walk around for an hour and then feed them again and then walk around for a little bit longer. And it was a lot of, you know, you know, parades and shows, not a lot of rides. And, um, but I think that it was important for our sanity that we, we do this. It was important for us to do the things that we as a family love to do because we we want Luke to experience life as well. Like he, yes, he will have disabilities, he will have difficulties, but the world is is so accessible now that, you know, most places will accommodate you. And we were even surprised of how much accommodations Disney offers. We just have to look for it and advocate. And I think that if you want to keep your quality of life, if you want to keep your sanity, and you have a, a special needs baby or child, you have to advocate, do your research, and t- take some risks in in going out and helping your children experience the world. It was a lot, but you know what? Like after that, we're like, okay, like this is, we can do this. This is, this is our new way of life and we can do it. You know, all of us with Mia and, you know, like, and just, and we have. And ever since then, we, you know, we've gone to Disneyland and each trip was easier and getting normal to stuff. And it's been great. You know, we love it. So um, it was really important for us to to show ourselves that it's different, but it's not terrible. It's not undoable. And there's a difference between taking precautions and not doing things because of precautions and not doing things because of fear. So I just think that the, the importance of this trip was was to to show us that we have the capabilities to continue to provide a good quality of life for our children, no matter what it looks like. We really held on to God's promises, and that's kind of what's gotten us through in our family. Yeah, and that's what we lean on every day. I just think because there's so much uncertainty, and because of uncertainty, you know, we don't, that's the hard part, not knowing, nobody knows the future, Mm -hmm. but each parent who's not a special needs parent, they don't, you know, they can't tell the future, but they're like, oh, you know, my kid's going to, you know, do this and go to prom. They can see a future. Yeah. And ours is uncertain. Yeah. So we, that's why we try to live day by day and appreciate every day. You know, we have to keep the faith and, and we lean on that. So the journey doesn't end after the NICU. It just, a new journey starts. And that's a journey of like the rest of your life. Luke is still struggling. We're still working on therapies with him. We're still working with a neurologist. Um, he's having seizures and, you know, he, he has his difficulties and it's hard. But it's, it's, 
It's a journey that we're willing to take and we're going to fight for him no matter what. We're going to advocate for him no matter what. And, um, and that's a life that we're now living and I wouldn't have it any other way because, you know, I, I love Luke. I love Mia and, you know, our family is so important to us and, yeah. Yeah. Like, you know, I, and like you said, I think it's easy to say that I wish it was another way, but if it was another way, everything that's happened to this point wouldn't have happened. Um, All so, the positive changes and the blessings that we've seen. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, God, we believe it's for a reason. That's why I always tell people, this, what's going on, it's bigger than Luke. It's bigger than what we think is right in front of us. You know, so we believe in purpose. We believe in reason and God's promise and God's word. So, you know, we we know a lot's going to happen in Luke's life and the blessing he's going to bring from all of this. Um, so we're, we're thankful for that. Yeah. So thank you so much for listening to our story. Um, Luke's story is not done here. It has more to go. Um, but if you guys have any questions, if you guys want to reach out, um, you guys can. Um, I'll leave my, my information at the end of the episode. You guys stay blessed and stay safe. Thank you. If you would like to follow along Luke's journey, you can follow my personal page on Instagram at Amy J. Barr. Follow the NICU family on Instagram to connect with me and the rest of the NICU families on the podcast. If you haven't already, hit that subscribe button and if possible, leave a review. Until then, stay strong and don't lose hope.